Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast where we all want ham. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are talking about the Studio Ghibli film Ponyo. Directed by Hayao Miyazaki, the film premiered in July 2008 and is the studio's eighth film. The film follows the titular Ponyo, a magical goldfish from the ocean, as she meets Sosuke, a five-year-old boy. Sosuke shows Ponyo what life on land has to offer, and soon, Ponyo becomes determined to become a real human girl. But after accidentally unleashing a large amount of magic into the ocean, it was up to Ponyo and Sosuke to bring balance back to nature. The film was a commercial success, grossing $204 million on a $34 million budget, and was met with positive reviews, with critics praising the visuals, animations, and storytelling themes. And, as always, there will be spoilers. So, I watched Ponyo, uh, Ponyo or Ponyo, I'm going to be flipping between both pronunciations. Um, I watched this movie in theaters when it was released in the U.S., Uh, That was back in 2008, so I must have been in 6th or 7th grade. Uh, And I don't remember if this was during the Miyazaki Club days, the the club that we alluded to uh, going to in middle school, Uh, but I remember going and watching Ponyo in the theaters. And by that point, I had already watched a lot of other Miyazaki films, uh, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle are the ones I can think of right now uh and so when i walked into the theater i was expecting a sort of an experience sort of like the two films i just mentioned spirited away and howl's moving castle and uh i left the theater feeling a bit disappointed uh at this movie uh kid alex didn't really like that there wasn't a a sort of grander narrative or an antagonist that the the characters of this movie were fighting against. And I thought like, oh, it's just a it's just a children's film. It's not Miyazaki's or Studio Ghibli's greatest work. And I left it at that. Uh just that it was a decent film in the Miyazaki repertoire. Uh however, having recently rewatched this film uh, about a week ago, I think I will revise my sentiment on this film. Uh, having rewatched it now with the knowledge of other previous Ghibli films, I can say that I really like this film. I think I like it a lot better than uh, I did when watching it as a kid. This film is... We talked a little bit before about how Miyazaki films, some of them, it's really hard to follow a story. I personally have a hard time following a lot of stories in Miyazaki films. Uh, and this film, Ponyo, is very much an experiential film, in my opinion. There's not really a grand story, uh, or if there is, it's a very simple one. Nothing too big on twists and turns. Uh, but the joy of this movie, I feel, can be found in... Uh, the sort of slice of life moments of Sosuke, his family, his mother, and the town that they live in. 
And the way that they navigate this supernatural event that's occurring to them, and also just the fact that the visuals and the music come together in such a, a great way, uh, I think it really highlights the artistic style of a Studio Ghibli film. This this uh, Ponyo in general, uh, in particular. So yeah, I really like this film just based on the aesthetic of. Uh, the art style, and also the really quiet moments that this film is packed to the brim with. Uh, I'm going to be talking a little bit more about those moments in my favorite characters and favorite moments section. Uh, but yeah, I, I have to say that I really like this film a lot more than I did uh, when I was a kid. But what about the rest of y'all? What were your experiences, first experiences with this film uh, and your first impressions? So I was really curious uh, when I brought this film to the podcast because this was the first time that I'd seen this film in, I want to say, over 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. It's been a very long time since, like Alex, I also saw this in theaters when it came out. I do believe, for me at least, this was before the Miyazaki Club, at least because the order of, of movies that I remember watching, at least, it was I remember watching Spirited Away, and then I remember watching Ponyo, and then all the other ones are sort of lumped in their own little mm. area as well. So I feel like, at least for me, um, I remember watching this before watching a lot more of Miyazaki's stuff. And I distinctly remember, as a kid loving this one um i actually think that to a certain extent i liked it like slightly more than spirited away when i was a kid mainly because it felt like it had like a more directed like oh she needs to become human okay now we need to find his mom and so there was like a more straightforward plot pathing which is not to say that i mean i'm just a kid so what can you say <laughs> now as an adult watching this one it's is very different than a lot of other Studio Ghibli films and Miyazaki films, in my opinion. And mainly because, as Alex, you said, it's very experiential, but in a different way than something like Spirited Away is. So I watched this film, uh, I rewatched it yesterday, and I was like enjoying what was happening on screen. Like the water is like animated absolutely beautifully. And I love how when the fish are like becoming the waves, there's like this whole stuff going on. And like, I like the sort of, as you said, the slice of life, life aspects where it's like, he goes to school that's next to the old folks home and her, his mom works there and they have to deal with his dad not coming home because he's way on cargo ship stuff. And so it's, it's, it's basically one of those things where I think in my head, it's very much, its own thing it's like somehow very different to me than a lot of other Miyazaki films mainly because for those other ones I find them really grand and like fantastical and like there's a lot of meat on them and also their themes and messages are generally like more big like there is aspects of like uh, uh, human centric pollution and like eco uh ecocentric messaging in this one but it's much more it's much less at the forefront than something say is like princess mononoke or nausicaa and the valley of the wind right those ones are very much like humans suck <laughs> do something 
this one is very like like this one almost feels like it is you know it's it's um there there are some studio ghibli films that studio ghibli made but had, that didn't involve miyazaki and those are very like modern they're like you're you're there are people in the city of tokyo or whatever and it is very slice of life it very much feels more in that vein than a miyazaki style in the old days where it's like we're in this mystical land and all of this stuff is happening so that is to say i still like this one but it's hard to compare it to other miyazaki films because they feel so different yeah, I I think the so I'd never seen this until last week, and I think I definitely would have not liked it nearly as much if I'd seen it as a kid. You know, in in that way that it's sort of like, what's going on here? Why are we doing any of this? Like, it doesn't. I think I would have, as a, as a younger kid, been much more focused on sort of the lightness of the narrative and not have been as satisfied with the the experiential parts as you both have been saying. Um, Definitely, it's a movie that that works based on vibes. I think one of the big things for me about the narrative is that there's not a whole lot that's like really deeply explained. You know, like there there's there's all this uh, stuff going on about like nature's out of balance and the moon's falling out of the sky and you know she's gotta she's gotta do this and this way and she's got these weird powers and none of it's really like detailed out. You know, it's it's just sort of things happen and we're just supposed to accept it as part of the narrative. And I think because of the type of movie it is, it works. But like, you know, it's it's a it's a particular sort of buy-in you have to have for that to to really mesh with you. So I don't know. I, I, I think definitely having seen it at a as a full grown adult it makes the the experience better. Um I also want to touch on like what you said about sort of the ecocentric kind of message, the you know, like depiction of pollution and human interference and nature and such and I definitely think that, I mean, this is obviously like a huge part of the narrative that's like Fujimoto, his whole deal. But like, I definitely think it's pretty like paired back if you compare that to, you know, movies such as Princess Mononoke, Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind. Like those are much like clearer, more direct messaging. Whereas this is sort of like a sort of slice of life and like two, you know, like a, two similar souls finding each other against this backdrop of man versus nature you know it's not it's not quite so core to the construction of the narrative all right well first time ponyo virgin or miyazaki <laughs> virgin or whatever you want to say um you really didn't have to phrase it like that though <laughs> you really didn't yeah in retrospect it's probably bad to talk about five-year-olds like that anyways <laughs> okay you did you, you continue to make it worse <laughs> Every every Miyazaki movie I've watched so far, I've come out of the watching experience, viewing experience, very kind of like satisfied, both in the way that the narrative comes at me, and also kind of just you know obviously all these these movies they share one thing in common. They're all very beautifully animated. They're gorgeous. All that stuff. The music is excellent, and you know most of the movies, while they are all like excellent in their own ways have you know some of them where the soundtrack like hits me harder or some of them where the narrative feels like it's stronger than others and stuff like that uh ponyo which i watched for the first time last week was the first movie that i came the first miyazaki movie that i came out of feeling honestly a little bit underwhelmed uh it's i mean a lot of what you uh michael and, and iris said is you know 
more or less the case. There's definitely more of an, an, an essence of the vibe, I guess. And I had, I had spoke to Iris a, a week ago, a little bit afterward, after I finished it, saying that this honestly kind of reminded me of um, Porco Rosso. Uh, because both of them feel like they have lesser, you know, not as strong narratives or not as narratives that aren't so far up the forefront of the movie. They feel kind of more like an experience. You're just watching things happen. You're watching characters go about their day and you're watching, you know, in Porco Rosso's case, you watch Porco Rosso kind of, you know, go about his thing and finally, you know, I guess come to terms with his airplane pilotness. And in this one, you kind of come to turn you you watch a story about sosuke and ponyo kind of getting together and saving the world in the process the thing about what i really liked about porco rosso aside from the soundtrack is that um the vibe instantly grabs you it's there's there's a wartime kind of romanticism about it uh there's definitely the beauty of italy and obviously the kind of you know paradise vibe that comes through very strongly for this movie the vibe was a lot harder for me to at least i guess to use iris's terms like buy into um there you know it's definitely you know obviously it's interesting to watch the magic of the ocean and stuff but i wasn't really i don't i like following ponyo as a character and following her own desire to become a human didn't grab me that same way i guess i'll put it that way um and to be honest, I think that the ending is actually kind of abrupt, too. Uh, I mean, obviously, the events of the movie only happen over a couple of days, but, like, essentially, uh, Grand... grand, grand I don't want to call her Grandmama, but that's literally, like, kind of what the Japanese word... It's pretty much name. pretty close, yeah. 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 It's, it's, a, it's like Grandma Mare? Like, for, like, sure. like Grandma Ocean? Grandma and Mare, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y- you know, Clever. like, I guess? <laughs> um, like... She comes in, she's like, alright, Sosuke, do you like a girl or do you like a fish? And Sosuke's like, I like a girl. And she is like, sounds good. Ponyo's gonna be a girl. (laughs) And then as soon as they, and then the end of the movie is her becoming a girl. And suddenly, the moon isn't cratering towards the earth anymore. And the oceans are, levels are receding, I guess. And like, I'm not saying that I was looking for closure in any way about those aspects of the movie. Because I didn't really, I mean, this is not a knock on the movie. I didn't really care about those in the first place. That was more of kind of like a, a setting kind of thing. But I just sat there being like, that was it? Like, that that just happened and then that was it? And I, I mean, the movie's still beautiful. The soundtrack's still great. Every There are aspects of this movie that, you know, have continuously impressed me and continuously, you know, as somebody who doesn't watch Miyazaki, this is excellent stuff. But I do feel like this one... Out of all the ones we've watched on, on the podcast, at least so far, is definitely the weakest for the reasons that I gave. I think I will sort of 50% agree with you. I, I'll say that, like, of the Miyazaki movies I've watched, this definitely, I think, would be probably, like, towards the bottom of the list. But I wasn't actually disappointed. It didn't cross below the threshold of, like, I didn't like this movie. It just was, like, it was nice. I watched it. It was a fun experience. And now it's over. Yeah. I think, Marcus, you're going a bit through the experience of what young Alex went through. Like, what is what is happening with this movie? Why did it end so quickly? Um, but I, I do think that the vibe of this movie is very much like a children's storybook, uh, if that makes any sense. I mean, the background art looks at times like the background art you might see in a children's storybook. And I think it follows the same story beats, like... 
uh, a fish from the ocean wants to turn into a human girl, goes onto land in a bucket, uh, learns things from a human boy, then through magic is able to uh, turn into a little girl. And they have to resolve like some grand thing at the end. And through the power of friendship, they're able to uh, uh, have everything tie up in a nice, neat bow. Uh and I think, like, going into that and watching this movie on a second viewing with that sort of s- childlike storybook uh, imagery in mind, because other Miyazaki films are for, it feels like they're for an older audience, uh, maybe not much older than uh, five-year-old Sosuke, who was in this movie. Uh, but, I mean, a lot more coming-of-age stories, like with uh, Spirited Away, or finding yourself, like in Castle in, Castle in the Sky or How's Moving Castle. This one is very much geared towards uh, like kids. Like I said, it is like a children's storybook. Uh, and it, on the second viewing, with that in mind, I think I appreciated it a lot more than what it was for. And I could forgive uh, some of the parts where they didn't really get super deep into detail or lore. But I can definitely see on like somebody who is uh, a lot more interested in those or is used to those older uh, stories that Miyazaki was telling to be a little disappointed with this movie and a little underwhelmed. Yeah, it's an int- I mean, again, I'm not, I'm really trying not to be a broken record, but I, I have this thing with just kids media in general where I feel like <laughs> I'm just not, I don't, I can't put myself in a in a headspace where I can appreciate it. I think in the way that a lot of other people can, and I think this. I think you're right, Alex. I think the children's storybook allegory is very apt because just in the way just in the way that the plot progresses, it's just it's very kind of simple here, then here, then here. Like you would read it to a child. Honestly, it's it is very much like that. I actually sort of want to challenge you on that a little bit. And maybe it just comes down to, like, the definition of, like, what kids' media is. But, like, I feel like when I think of you and, like, things that you've watched and things you've brought to this podcast, like, the number one example is, like, you know, the Star Wars Clone Wars TV show. And that was very much, like, a kid's show, you know, maybe for older kids than, like, perhaps the style of Ponyo is coming to. But, like, I think you definitely can and have enjoyed kids' media, depending on what, like, kid means in this case. And... There's a whole conversation to be had there, but, like, I don't know that I would agree with you that you say you don't like kids' media at all. I actually think that the label of kids' media to Ponyo is actually somewhat inaccurate. It feels not like kids' media, but, like, toddler media, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Like, you read this to a toddler when it is going, when they're going to bed. Like, I I feel like that's that's the impression that I'm getting from Marcus, at least, and... That is not to say that this is not, like, and the main reason I say this is because I disagree, actually. So, let me talk a little bit about a very subtle thing that they did in this movie. Um, when Fujimoto first, or not Fujimoto, but when Grandma Mare first appears in the movie, um, her and Fujimoto have this discussion, and they're like, Oh, Ponyo wants to turn into a real girl and stuff like that. And then Grandma is like, oh, we need to test Sasuke. Like, that's going to be the next driving part of the movie. And I feel like it's one of those things that you that kind of goes over your head. But when you watch the next parts of those movies, that is the test. 
All of those things where it's like we go here, then we go here, then we go here. All of that is the test on how Sasuke and Ponyo interact, communicate, and deal with each other and like deal with this somewhat stressful situation of his mom is gone. We need to go find her and we have this boat, right? Like to me, at least it is linear in its formula in its formulation. Like, yes, we are going from here to here to here. And it is kids media in the sense that there are clear morals and uh, like things to learn along this way. Like, Oh, we learned how to communicate in this one, we learn how to care about people in this one. But I think that part of the reason why this doesn't serve purely as kids' kids media is because of the framework that this movie puts those morals in. As in to say that it is a series of morals, yes, but it is wrapped in this beautiful aesthetic that, that something like other kids media wouldn't necessarily think to do. Um, I think, yeah, that's where it is in my head, at least right now. And that, I mean, another point that I will more than likely bring up later in this episode is that I think that you are right. The the events that happen after the discussion between Grandma Mare and Fujimoto, uh, like they are the test for Sosuke and for Ponyo, both of them. I think what, what's evident about, Sosuke is that he acts quite a bit more mature than five-year-olds would normally. And I think that Ponyo doesn't. You know, Ponyo acts very much kind of like a five-year-old. Uh, you know, the fact that, the, the, from the very beginning, the fact that Sosuke doesn't freak the fuck out that his mom is not back in the house tells me that, you know, he's obviously got a, a handle on things a lot more than five-year-old me would, at the very least. So, we'll discuss that a little bit more. But I think that there's a little bit of a, a disparity, I think, between the way they treat Sosuke and the way they treat Ponyo, which is why I feel like, you know, Sosuke's arc is like, oh, great, we love following this guy. Ponyo's arc is like, this is literally a fish in human form for the entire movie. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, why don't we dive into uh, our favorite moments and favorite characters? Uh, I want to say my favorite character first, just so, because uh, I don't know if, Hopefully I don't steal this from anybody, but... There are so many politics these days about who gets to yeah, say who, their favorite who's character. Who's keeping track? Who's keeping track of how many times Alex is doing this in a row? Uh, it's definitely been a majority. I've stolen them first, but uh, that's that's host privileges, am I right? Uh, anyway, uh, my favorite characters are the old ladies at the, uh, <laughs> the nursing home. Oh my god, I choice. love them so much. Um, it's, there's just something about elderly, uh, people, more specifically, like, elderly women in the Hayao Miyazaki film repertoire that just makes them so endearing, uh, to me. I don't know what about it, but specifically, uh, I think, what's her name? Yoshie, the, the, uh, Witch of the West-looking grandma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's um, nice yeah, that and like there, it's her and Toki and the third other lady who has like a lot of speaking lines. I can't remember her name, um, but their interactions with one another and with Sosuke are just so sweet and endearing. Uh, and at the end, like when they're able to uh, like get so at the beginning of the film, the uh, the people in the nursing home, all the old folks, are in wheelchairs. 
and they reminisce like, oh, uh, it must be nice being being young, looking at Sosuke as he's like running around and doing little kid things. And then at the end of the movie, they are their legs are healed by Fujimoto, uh, and there there's a scene where they're just running across uh, the this like underwater seascape, uh, laughing like little kids. And uh, because their legs have been healed and they're able to run as fast uh, as they wanted to. And it's just so sweet that that scene right there. And also when (laughs) the last scene at the end of the movie that made me laugh uh, was when somebody like comes down with a bunch of wheelchairs and he's like, do you need any assistance? And all the old ladies are just like trudging up the hill. Like, no, we're fine. We're doing okay. Uh, Yeah. Any and all the scenes with the, uh, the old ladies uh, just melts my heart, especially in this movie, uh, since they have such a showing. Uh, but yeah, what about the rest of y'all? What are your favorite moments and favorite scenes? Lisa. Did they steal it for anyone? <laughs> yes. There you go. All right. Um, Lisa's a fucking badass. <laughs> so <laughs> she she's the mom. Um, I don't know what it is. First of all, in the English dub, she's voiced by Tina Fey, which is hilarious. Really? Fucking excuse me? That, that is, I know. How did she... It works, actually. Um, does it? I, I think it does. Um, two, huh. I love how she just drives way too fast. <laughs> that is, like, part of her character. Um, and, like, she is... She's not... I wouldn't say reckless, albeit yes. No, but she's, she's very aggressive. She's absolutely reckless. You see the way she fucking <laughs> but, skids around the turn. But the only reason <laughs> she was able to get back to the house and also back to the serious center is because she's driving so freaking fast in a, pouring rain. That was a badass <laughs> moment for sure. Um, so like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's just funny. I don't know why. It's it's not even funny necessarily. It's like, it's 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 lovely. Um, but. I also like how, um, well, actually, sorry, before I get to that, I love, Le- like, the Lisa's, like, character acting when it, in that scene where um, their dad, what is their dad's name? Koichi? Yeah. yeah That's his so. dad's name, right? Um, is, like, uh, out, out out at sea and they're oh, signaling... Yeah. Um, in Morse code, that scene is always hilarious. Vaka, 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 um, vaka, vaka. <laughs> um, funnily enough, in the English dub, they say "bug off." What? Because <laughs> as in like a, it's like a, it's like similar to baka. Yeah, it sounds like, like bug baka off. than trying to say like jerk, jerk, jerk. jerk exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, as in she spells to Sosuke like B U G O F F, and it's like over and over again. Anyway, um. That was just really funny, and I really enjoyed that. Also, by the way, Koichi is voiced by Matt Damon. He has, like, literally five lines in this whole movie, but he's in this movie now. Um, <laughs> I know. It's crazy. The all the weird, like, the weird A-list voice. I need to just start this. So, Fujimoto is, is voiced by Liam Neeson, if you don't, if y'all don't know. But yo, okay, I literally, in conversation earlier today, I was going to make a joke about, like, oh, man, Christian Bale in this movie, because Christian Bale was <laughs> Howl in Hell's Moving Castle. Yeah. And it's like, what is it about them for the English dubs of these movies that makes them want to get A-lister, like, action movie stars? What Grandma what, Mare? Grandma Mare, voiced by Kate Blanchett. What? <laughs> I know. It's nuts. <laughs> I know. It's okay, crazy. I, know, I feel like we need to, I need to listen to this 
the dub now. Well, I that's, need to, I, that's, I, that's how I they the get only you, watch the dub? That's how they get you. This, this <laughs> yeah. is exactly why they bring those A-listers on. Because Americans who don't know fuck shit about Ponyo are like, <laughs> oh shit, Kate Blanchett and Liam Neeson are in this movie. Yeah. Okay, but um, that's like, regardless of what the movie is, that's a pretty good, like, selling point. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's Lisa, mainly just because I love her so much. As for favorite moments, I actually think that... A moment pretty... No, it's not. That's not true. Of course I know what my favorite moment is. It's when the fucking toy boat is enlarged. That entire mm-hmm. section mm-hmm. where they're sailing on the toy boat is just so good. Like, I I want that. I want a toy <laughs> boat that works off a giant candle. I, I need that in my life. And, like, the attention to detail with making that toy boat... Because I know it's, like, a real toy. But, obviously, it's usually miniature. Of, like, making sure, like, oh, yeah, we need to make sure we get the water sucked up in there. And we need to make sure that the candle is at the right position so that it boils and uh, oscillates at the, certain, at the right frequency. It's like, what is, what is happening? Like, again, <laughs> it's, it's just one of those details that's, like, this is awesome. I'm really glad you actually talked about that because that was going to be my honorable mention. And now I don't have to say anything. So it's great. Nice. Um, my favorite character has got to be all of Ponyo's siblings. because one they're fucking adorable two they are like the most helpful little beans and i love them because they're always there to look out for their big sister three the way they are animated and the way that they become the the little goldfish with faces become like the the are they carp or they i i I don't know what 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 kind of whatever other kind of fish they become and they become the waves like it is gorgeous how they look like, that is probably my favorite, like, visual moment of this whole movie is just the waves and the fish and the siblings and all, like, morphing into each other. It's amazing. They're so cute. They're so fun. They're so good. They are best girls. All of them. Oh. Even the ones who were maybe not, not girls. I don't know. There's, like, a thousand <laughs> of them. Um, but my favorite moment, uh, shout out, of course, to the boat because it's adorable and it's amazing and I want one, too. The best moment, I think, for me has to be when... Uh, Lisa and Grandma Mare are having their, their private discussion. And I think it is one of those moments where there is so much more being communicated through what is not said than what is said, because we don't actually ever find out like basically anything that they talk about. You know, they, they, they have their conversation from a distance. We're like in the POV, we're in the perspective of the old ladies who are like, oh, I wonder what they're talking about. And we kind of get like the tail end of their conversation. And, you know, and then she like talks to Fujimoto and she's like, okay, and he's going to have to go through the test and, you know, blah, 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 all this stuff. I think there was something very like calming about watching these two mothers like talk about their children and it's like yeah you are going to be you know the 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 stand in the surrogate mother for my daughter like are you going to take good care of her there's something very like familial about that and very personal and very uh i don't know what the other word is i'm looking for here but a long time ago we mentioned on this podcast uh in in like way back in the very beginning of this podcast when we talked about steven universe future uh there was a tweet from one of the writers of that show about, you know, what they did and didn't show in like the very end of the season and, you know, specifically how people were upset that like they didn't really get to see Steven and Connie like get together for the first time, how that was glossed over in a time skip. And the response to that was something along the lines of, you know, these characters have earned a little bit of privacy. And ever since then, that idea has enthralled me. Like, when do we 
when do we as an audience like not deserve to hear what's going on inside a character's mind or in their private moments? And I think that little bit with, you know, these two mothers talking and connecting about their children, about like each other, like sizing each other up, like literally, I think that is a perfect moment for that. And I think like seeing them have that conversation from afar and not knowing what was said achieved more than perhaps anything that they could have said would. I think it's a very beautiful moment. I think it's a very powerful narrative choice in that moment. This is going to take away from what, like how you just said that very well, but that moment specifically reminded me of when I was like in first grade and I would be like with my (laughs) classmates and like my parents would be talking to like their parents, like, and you wouldn't know what they were saying, but you would know that they were like interacting with each other. Yeah. It's sorry. But in any case, (laughs) Um, I'm glad that nobody took my favorite character because it is Fujimoto for me. Uh, I think nice. he, he definitely kind of, he, he's definitely the, the old disgruntled, I hate humans kind of vibe that I, uh, I definitely do fuck with sometimes. Um, but he's also kind of got a very, like, he, he's, he's got a mad, mad scientist kind of edge to him as well, which I really like seeing. And obviously he's not fully in control of everything that's going on around him. And that entire sequence where he's like, He's pouring the the elixir or whatever, and he's like, "I gotta di- fix this damn door." And he, he says it like three times, like this door is broken. It's gonna like cause a problem. I certainly don't want this specific area to be flooded <laughs> by the ocean. Like he so fucking says that, and then it does. So I I, I don't know. I, everything about him is is quirky and charming and very funny too. Even though he doesn't really have that many like plot relevant lines, I guess besides telling Sosuke that, like, do you really love Ponyo and stuff like that. Um, favorite is that moment... What, is that what Liam Neeson sounds like in the dub? I didn't watch the dub. That was oh. just... I mean, now that I know that Liam Neeson voiced it, that's why I decided to, vo- to, to <laughs> say it that way. He actually sounds strangely normal in oh. the dub. I think. Like, not... I don't know who you are. I don't know where to find you. <laughs> but I can tell you that I have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> Skills that make me a nightmare for polluters like you. <laughs> if you let my goldfish go now, that'll be the end of it. Oh, jeez. But if you don't... <laughs> Alright, uh, favorite moment? Um, Lisa driving home in the rain was definitely a big one. Only because I'm in the automotive industry and that gave me so much anxiety the entire fucking time <laughs> I was watching it. Um, but that that moment where she, she beats the boat, essentially, by going... Because, you know, obviously when she's going to the senior center, there's that dip where the boat is, you know, moored. And, uh, you know, she goes through that fine. And then when she's coming back, she's like, I got to fucking floor it as soon as the waves part enough that yeah. I have enough road to go through. Very smart shit. Um, and uh, I guess the other honorable mention was when just seeing the lights on the horizon on the ocean when they first mm-hmm. you know when mm-hmm. koichi and they're they're all out there and just like is that a city are we in america and stuff like that and then they come to it and they realize it's literally like thousands of boats washed up like just in a mountain and they're like what the fuck is going on and that's not even the most like surprising thing that happens to them that night so that was a that was like a, a, a wow moment for me which i really always look forward to in these miyazaki movies on the topic of Lisa, can we just say, like, emotionally, emotionally a really great mom. And materially, keeping her kids safe 
She's terrible. <laughs> she's like a, yep. about she's to gotta take care of the senior citizens. She's like about to get them both swept away into the ocean. Like to do what exactly? Like it's not like your home on the top of a cliff is gonna be like any safer than anywhere else from this hurricane. I mean, You're getting yourselves was, like it killed it for nothing. It was. It was. It was. It should not have been. It should not have been. There was nothing about it that should have made it safer. And yet. And yet. She's like risking their <laughs> lives for nothing. Gotta get home though. She did it in a badass way, and that way I can yeah. forgive it. She has a generator. The water still works. Look, she <laughs> look. It averages out to like a mediocre mom, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, um, and I mean, we were talking a little bit about this, but I do want to dive a little more into the visuals and the animations of some of the scenes we were talking about. Um, and I mentioned this before. Also, we can throw in a little chat about the music as well. Uh, but some of the scenes we were talking about, uh, especially the the big waves coming into uh, the town, and that scene with Ponyo running on top of those waves, I think is the most iconic scene of this film. Just the way that fluid and water is animated is so incredible. Uh, I also want to shout out a couple of, uh, going back to that idea of this looking like a storybook, uh, when they are able to get past the uh, initial onslaught of waves and Ponyo like, approaches the house for a second time, uh, in the background, the waves are moving kind of like mountains, uh, very slowly. I don't know if you remember that, but just those like hills, those like, huge rounded hills of waves gives it a very very like dreamlike quality to this movie and i love it for that um and there's so many other uh scenes to talk about like the uh primordial ocean that comes about when uh Sosuke and Ponyo wake up the next morning the lighting that falls throughout the trees and just the colors of this movie uh, really makes it a treat for the eyes. Uh, but what about the rest of y'all? What was the best part about the animation or the visuals or the music? Uh, what brought it all together for you? Or maybe what didn't? So I had an interesting thought, which is I, I think that this film has the least amount of flight in it yeah. in any <laughs> Miyazaki film. It is very much against his opus uh, opus what the fuck am i saying his Magnum thing opus? modus Mag- operandi no, no. modus operandi thank you M-O. modus operandi i got that completely mixed up but <laughs> i think you still didn't All whatever right. <laughs> anyway so he is very much like his style is flight like you can see that in every single movie there's like at least something flying either a dragon or a plane or like this weird butter buzzer thing in castle in the sky but he is always immaculately skilled at dec- um uh, showing the beauties of flight as well as its horrors, terrors, and like machinations. I think this is the and 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 also, I think in a lot of other films, the water doesn't get that big of a spotlight. It is a lot more bigger in something like Poco Rosso than say like Castle in the Sky. There's literally well, there is water, but it's it's like it's just flat in the ocean. This one is the first one to me that makes the ocean like. It, it feels like there is a love of the ocean in the same way of his love of flight. In the sense that the ocean feels alive. As opposed to like a backdrop in any of the other ones. Which is not to say that they're bad. In this one, the or- the ocean is like 
roiling and like like really fluid and has so much detail in it especially with like the ocean wildlife um when sosuke and ponyo get out of their house in the morning when the water level has risen and like the water level has risen to the point where it's literally touching like the the siding of the house and there's just like creatures everywhere and they even talk about like oh it's this thing it's Flectosaurus, it's this I actually literally have no idea what they were saying. <laughs> but there is like so much life in the ocean in this movie. And it's beautiful in the same way that a lot of times he is able to put life in a lot of other things. In this one, it's the ocean that is alive. And it's 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 great. Yeah, the the, the very first scene where Ponyo is floating on the top of the jellyfish and that 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 music, you know, that first uh, opening track is is kind of guiding you through her journey through the ocean to eventually where the cliffside is. 100% one of the best openings to any movie I've ever seen. Like, that's that's crazy. And that's that's exactly what that vibe, like, that first hit of that vibe is really, you know, obviously it kind of tapered off from there, which is a little bit sad for me, honestly. But that was a really, really great introduction to this movie. Yeah, I think um, someone someone mentioned earlier about the sort of storybook vibes of the movie. And that's like, it's totally spot on. It was sort of, there was a moment early on in the movie when I was watching it, when I, I literally, had, it just kind of struck me like, this looks like a, a kid's book. This looks like the way it's drawn, the way it's, it's animated, looks like it is jumping straight out of the pages of a picture book. Um like all these these very bright colors, these very soft shapes, soft borders and outlines. Like I'm I'm sure you know y'all have seen like you know like animated adaptations of children's books where it's like they take the actual illustrations and use those as sort of the 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 keyframes and everything. And it really had that kind of feel to it, which I very much appreciated. I think it's it 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 really went hand in hand with the rest of it. Um, I guess that's all I have to say other than that the scene with the, 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 the huge mountain in the ocean and all the ships was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I think we've I think we've covered most of the, the stuff I would say about it. And one one other thing that I wanted to mention is that, you know, obviously the the Ponyo running on the waves and the 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 calamity of it all, the violence of the waves through that nighttime scene, very iconic. But I think the the stark contrast with just the clean serenity of what is essentially a normal like landscape completely submerged under still water so you can like you see the trees but there's fish yeah. like like swimming amongst the treetops and stuff that was really really cool to see as well it the colors were much more vibrant and very very miyazaki like in that respect and it was just very quiet you know the the water was still you could see a little bit of human activity you know when the boats come down with the with the uh people on them but otherwise it's just it's nature having taken over, you know? Yeah, that, that entire scene where we get these underwater shots of, like, a road with fish swimming above it and crabs crawling under it. I think the most uh, the most iconic uh, section of those sequences of scenes for me are... Uh, there was this shot of the underwater town and the boats on the docks that were moored there were connected, still connected to the docks, but they were floating upwards 
um, kind of suspended in the middle of the water. That was a completely incredible visual for me. And also just to touch back on that music that you mentioned, Marcus, at the beginning of the the uh, the film, that like really grand sweeping orchestral music that is the theme of Ponyo really does set the mood uh, as to what kind of uh, experience this movie is going for that sort of etherealness of uh, the ocean uh, it's played again and again every time Grand- Grandma Mare is uh, anywhere near the screen or when Ponyo and Sosuke have like a quiet moment together but yeah I really love the theme of this music and I wish I could play it although I think we are going to get Disney copyright struck for that. <laughs> yeah. Something else I want to say about the way that nature takes over, you know, takes over all the, the towns and the villages and the roads is that once the initial storm has passed, it's not violent in the way that, like, I'll, I'll say specifically Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind is violent mm. about how nature fights back against humanity and modernity and technology and all these other ease. Um... It's it's very calm. It's very tranquil. You know, we get to see uh, like all these beautiful fish like swimming around in the village on the roads like it's a coral reef. I mean, it's it's the waters are calm. The waters are smooth. It's it's a very beautiful. And I think there's also like something to be said for how all the members of the town kind of take it in their stride. You know, like no one's freaking out when we see all the. All the, all the people you know, like in the boats and there's like the police or the military, whoever the heck they're supposed to be in the, the, the little canoe with the two parents and the baby that we go past. Like everyone's just pretty blasé about the whole thing. It's like, oh, yeah, well, the sea rose like 300 feet and this is our life now. This is our life now. <laughs> we're on a boat. We're going to the we're going to the evacuation place. Oh, hey, look, it's it's uh, it's Sosuke and he's got a friend in a boat that's like three times or ten times its normal size. He's got a giant candle. Look at you. You're, you're cute little Sosuke. Run around yeah, with you, your candle you go, boat. Like, you go yeah, with boat. <laughs> they, they just all, no one really raises a fuss about it. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is what's happening now. And I think that's really important for this sort of the, the, the storybook, the children's book aspect of it. You know, if everyone were freaking out all the time, like, it'd be a very different movie. But everyone just is like, it's no big deal. This is just what's happening. Yeah, I, I I will say that that did pull me out of it a bit, especially because Lisa the night before was like, something strange is happening with the ocean. It's like, yeah, you think? Like, look at the fucking waves. <laughs> and then, you know, everything's submerged and something like, hey, well, you know, that's life. And it's like, no, it's not. Have you have you not seen the climate, like the, the climate crisis that has just you know been <laughs> put upon you? But you're, you're right. It does. It definitely does add to that that storybook aspect it's like a, and, and especially for for sosuke's sake he's like all right well i can't take the roads anymore gotta improvise gotta bring up this fucking boat ponyo blow that shit up 10 times the size we're out of here <laughs> uh, yeah i i really do like the sort of small town vibe that we get whenever sosuke interacts with uh or sosuke or lisa interacts with other members of this community and i i suppose this uh the kind of blasé way they're taking all of this uh, ocean, uh, ocean rising, uh, kind of, is kind of like that to the extreme. But uh, yeah, I I really do like that sort of small town vibe that they've got going for this whatever fishing town uh, they're living in. And uh, to cap this discussion of Ponyo off, I do want to talk a little bit more about uh, Fujimoto 
and uh, Grandma Mare, uh, the two sort of mystical figures that we see in this uh, this film. We talked a little bit about Fujimoto being Marcus's favorite character and his sort of like disgruntled dad vibe. I do want to talk a little bit more about Grandma Mare because her design is so fascinating to me. Uh, first off, she appears as this like 300 foot tall woman uh, sliding underneath the sea. Uh, but every time that you look at her, I just made this connection. She reminds me sort of like the deer god in uh in princess mononoke in the the way that it's it's the eyes yeah it's the eyes (laughs) and i noticed that she rarely ever blinks in this while on screen which might seem creepy at first but fish also don't have eyelids so that could be like a connection that they made there biology master alex coming in with the fun facts there you go uh but yeah she has this sort of uh the the eyes really make it seem that she is this otherworldly presence that we can't quite understand and also just how ethereal she is going back to that scene that you talked about iris about her and uh lisa talking with one another uh she's underneath this jellyfish umbrella and just that section of this otherwise like sunny underwater uh lawn is like night it's like the shadows of the deep a uh, deeper ocean like 500 feet down uh there's something a little unsettling about her uh in combination with that ethereal beauty that she radiates and i really like that juxtaposition to kind of hammer home the fact that she is this sort of unknowable godlike figure uh but yeah and what about the rest of y'all what do you have to uh say about grandma mare and or uh fujimoto so grandma mare is interesting because i think that part of the perspective that a lot of this movie doesn't get explained is related to grandma mare in a way like what is she is she the ocean is she the moon is she both like these immaculate powers that she has like what is happening with her and like the moon actually comes from majora's mask actually (laughs) correct um (laughs) so i think that part of it's both its strength and its weakness like the fact that they don't explain all any of that at all that she is just a manifestation of like ponyo's innate magical power basically it makes things very very mystical it's very soft it's very like we we're not explaining this for the purpose of it's gonna matter we're not explaining this to preserve the mystery about what is this woman she has godlike powers and we are just in awe of her and yet it is in contrast with her motherly behavior about her caring about ponyo about her communication with Lisa and her ultimate, like, like Sosuke, if you love Ponyo, then we will do this for you type of deal. And so I think that's where, for me, she lands really well, where she is, like, both unknowable and unfathomable, and yet, like the ocean, unfathomable, <laughs> um, and at the same time, very deeply, quote-unquote, human, that... She is a mother. She cares about her daughter. And 
cares about her daughter growing up and becoming who she wants to be. And so it's that contrast between like literal God and human nature feelings that makes it a very interesting idea of like, there's these two conflicting forces and you're like, it's not even necessarily like which way is she going to go? It's just like this conflict like is just interesting. Like I am like just intrigued at this godlike figure who has deeply human emotions, um, but like maternal emotions, uh, as to say, um, yeah. And I think that there's also a significant contrast with Fujimoto and and Grandma Mare because obviously, like Fujimoto, effectively renounced his humanity. He doesn't want anything to do with humans whatsoever, and he mm-hmm. he cares for Ponyo. That's very clear, you know, in a fatherly way. But it's more in kind of like a "Don't go running off this way. Oh no, that's dangerous. Please stay here." Like he's very much the kind of you know I, I like that that dad vibe uh, thing that you said, Alex. It's very much like he's <laughs> trying to he's trying to make sure that things are going right and things are you know he has a semblance of control of the situation. Very clearly, he doesn't, but. Uh, it's it's charming to see that both of them play a role very strongly in the way that both the way they both in, interact with Ponyo and you know are accepting of Ponyo you know wanting to be a human and living life with Sosuke and also with the way that they interact with Sosuke as well you know uh, Grandma Mare is very kind of like I wouldn't say professional but she it's it's almost regal in the way that she addresses Sosuke it's like well you know this is going to be a very big thing and you have a lot of responsibility but I will let you do it if you want, if you really, really want it. And, uh, you know, Fujimoto, on the other hand, is like, the moon is going to fucking crash into the ocean, so scary. You have to fucking save the world. Like, that's, I, I like that the two, he's getting two different, uh, very different pulls from the, the, the god figures, essentially, in this movie. But they both lead him in different ways to the same conclusion that he wants to make, that he wants to be with Ponyo, and that, you know, Ponyo knows that she wants to be a girl, so... I, I think that that contrast as well was very well done. And yeah, I think both of them, Michael, as you said, they kind of hit that, that sweet spot where they they have enough mystery around them, but they are both fleshed out in their own right and have character interactions that allow them to be really compelling characters. Mm-hmm, yeah, and I think that that last uh, talk that Sosuke has with Grandma Mare and Fujimoto really does kind of cap off that children's storybook uh, type type uh plot that we've been talking about and also contributes to a little bit how fast the uh the ending happens just because the exact right parameters were met it's like oh fine okay ponyo's a human now uh end of show end of scene um yeah i did think it was a little bit fast but all things considered uh i feel like the ending did was still in line with that sort of story children's storybook theme uh because that's exactly where that kind of story would end uh but i believe that'll do it for us folks thank you so much for listening uh this week's video that you can watch on youtube is called appropriately something fishy by christina Wu. next week marcus you are bringing soul to the podcast So uh, look forward to that next time you tune in. Uh, And once again, thank you so much for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone.